0: How are you? Good. Two people, praise God, both in the front row. How are the rest of you? Good. All right. I think so. It's too early to tell. So we're in 2 Corinthians here. I am going to read some text to you in just a minute, but... We're gonna look, I'm going to read a bunch of verses, 12 through uh, about 24. We're going to jump in. But as we're working our way through this book, realize the Corinthians were a wild bunch. And uh, our generation is a wild bunch. But God can get a hold of wild people and channel that craziness and use it for the kingdom of God. Amen? Don't ever look at someone and think they're too wild to be used for the kingdom of God. God grabs the wild ones. Amen. And he, he uses them as trophies as his gr- of his grace. Amen. So, Father, we thank you tonight for this Corinthian church that pushed the boundaries and tested the limits and sent examples of your grace for us. We pray tonight as Paul establishes his authority amongst the church, as a pillar of the church, as someone who writes two-thirds of the New Testament, Lord, I pray that these principles would leap off the pages and out of the text and give us wisdom on how to live our daily lives. That's the point of everything we do here tonight. We want to worship you and love you. We want to get to know you and we want to live your word tonight. We ask this all in Jesus name. Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 starting in verse 12. For our boasting is this, the testimony of our conscience that we conduct ourselves in the world in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom but by the grace of God and more abundantly toward you. For we are not writing any other things to you than what we read, what you read or understand. Now I trust you will understand even to the end as also you have understood us in part, that we are your boast as you also are ours in the day of the Lord Jesus. Verse 15, and in this confidence, I intended to come to you before that you might have a second benefit, to pass by way of you to Macedonia, to come again from Macedonia to you and be helped by you on my way to Judea. Therefore, when I was planning this, did I do it lightly or things I planned? Do I plan according to the flesh that with me there should be yes, yes, and no, no? But as God is faithful, our word to you was not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me, Silvanus, and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him was yes. For all the promises of God are yes in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. Now, he who has established us with you in Christ and has anointed us in God, who also has sealed us and given us the spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Moreover, I call God as witness against my soul that to spare you, I came no more to Corinth. Not that we have uh, dominion over your faith, but our fellow workers for your joy for by faith you stand. So there's a lot of moving parts going in here, and it might not be obvious to catch exactly what Paul's saying. Remember, there was uh, those in the church that questioned his apostolic authority. So uh, in these early parts of the second epistle here, he's establishing his authority. There was also a question of he said he was going to come to them and didn't come to them. And now some people were saying, well, if he doesn't keep his word like this, how could we trust that what he says is true? So, you know, there's some... Some of those parts are almost like tongue twisters in there and they get your brain all scrambled up. Anybody have, get scrambled brains once in a while, amen? But the word makes sense and you need to dig in and so we're gonna. Paul continues to encourage those in Corinth by pointing out the fact that they have a symbiotic relationship with the church leadership. Now, a symbiotic relationship is when uh, two animals or two entities or two living things Couple together and provide necessary conditions for the other to exist and and thrive. Now, the church and church leadership, the church and the Godhead have a symbiotic relationship. We exist to bless each other so that in each other we thrive. You know what? I might be a preacher, I might be anointed to preach, but if no one shows up to hear what the Lord gave me to preach, it's really boring. Wednesday and Sunday, they show up. The rest of the week, I preach the chairs. No, you know, if you have a gift and you use the gift, we need each other, amen? The preacher needs those who need to hear the preaching. Uh, The teacher needs those who need to be taught. The servant needs those who need to be served. The one who has the gift of prophecy needs people to sit under the prophetic and be ministered to by the flow of the Holy Spirit, do you see the relationship is symbiotic it 's one that benefits another now, you know I always think of uh, these relationships where you see there's there's relationships that are mutually beneficial. How many have ever been in a mutual beneficial relationship? Most of you, some of the rest of you I pray for you but You know, that's the best kind of relationship to be in. If you've ever been in a relationship, Tony, where you do all the giving and the other person does all the taking, it's exhausting. Amen? All the married people look horrified. They don't even want to make eye contact. But that's a symbiotic relationship. And I think of, if you've ever seen before sharks swimming in the water and they have all these little fish around them that are just kind of attached to them and eating, you know, debris off of them. Have you ever seen that? Well, that's an example of a symbiotic relationship. Those little fish that attach themselves to sharks are called remoras. And these little fish clean uh, the the bits of food that cling to the bottom of the shark. And I was thinking, you know, why doesn't the shark eat them? Because he knows they're helping him. They're mutually beneficial, and, you know, not that, you know, anybody wants to be, you know, a little fish to a shark, but, you know, you get the idea there that a mutual beneficial relationship is a good thing. Now, there's other relationships that are parasitic, and that's the one where one does the taking, the other does the giving. The parasite latches itself to the host and consumes the host, Okay, I don't want to get too biological with you here today. Some of you are glazing over on me already. But you you get this idea, the symbiotic relationship, and that's the thrust of the theme of what Paul is saying through a lot of these things that almost seem like tongue twisters. He's like, I need you and you need me, and that's the point. It's symbiotic. Standard Bible in verse 12 says, For our boasting is this, the King James says, Our proud confidence. So as we look at verse 12, our boasting is this, the testimony of our conscience. So Paul's talking about boasting. He's talking about his proud confidence. What he's proud of, what he's boasting in is the relationship, that mutually beneficial relationship he has with the churches. Now, boasting and pride are two things that we need to be very aware of and very careful of. Amen? You know Paul uses this as an illustration I'm boasting. You know <coughs> boasting and pride is something we have to be careful because most of the time it's associated with sins of the flesh. How many realize that bragging is not often a good thing? Pride and some people are, no I like it. I'm it's my, you know, it's my spiritual gift. I'm a bragger. I've known people that, you know, th- they were kingdom people. They'd go out on the mission field. They'd go preach somewhere, and, th- and all they would do is brag. I did this, and I did that. Well, was God involved at all? And I led people to the Lord, and I took an offering, and I got people saved. Did the Holy Spirit do anything, or he, he was off that day? You know, just because you're a Christian, just because you're born again, doesn't mean you're not given to bragging bragging is something we need to avoid boasting is something we need to avoid why because they they puff up the flesh but in this case the bragging was good and the 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 proud confidence that paul had was a good thing if we're going to be proud and if we're going to boast scripture tells us it better be about the lord jesus christ amen you and i can brag about jesus Come on, you and I can brag about the goodness of God in our lives. You know, we sang that song, all my life you have been faithful. Listen, I'm standing up there playing guitar, and I was dead on the floor, but I'm still alive because my God has been faithful to me, Amen. I I don't know about you, but, you know, when you go through some stuff, these things mean more to you. And Paul is like, he's excited about the kingdom. He's excited about the churches. And he's bragging about what the Lord has done. So if you're given to boasting, if you're given to bragging, if you're given to pride, be proud of what God has done in the people of God, in the body of Christ. Amen. So. There's two scriptures in 1 Corinthians and two scriptures in 2 Corinthians where we're told to boast in the Lord. I'll read one of them. 1 Corinthians 1.13, So that just as it is written, let the one who boasts or brags brag in the Lord. So there are four scriptures just in the two epistles to the Corinthians that talk about bragging and boasting. Could it be maybe that they had a problem with bragging, that they had a problem with boasting? They certainly had a problem with the flesh. So Paul's redirecting that misdirected energy. Brag about the Lord, boast in the Lord, get excited about kingdom things, amen. In this instance, Paul is bragging about that interconnected relationship he has with the body of Christ. Paul's conscience is clean. Notice he says that in 12. He's saying, for the boasting is this testimony, our conscience that we conducted ourselves in the word in simplicity and godly sincerity not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God and more abundantly toward you. So Paul speaks of having a a clear conscience. You know, and that's a good reminder for us. And no matter how well we're doing financially or how successful we are, how we've climbed the corporate ladder or how many, you know, material blessings we have, at the end of the day, we have to lay down at night on the pillow and go to sleep. Yes, we do. Yes. And the thing is, if you don't have a clear conscience... If you're living in ill-gotten gain with ill-gotten means, listen, we think, oh, this person's got that, and they got this, and they're famous, and all that stuff. I would rather have simplicity with a clear conscience so I could sleep at night, and you and I, look, if you can sleep at night, and you know you're right with the Lord, and the Lord is happy with you, you can sleep like a baby in the midst of a hurricane, and that's that's worth all the fortunes that this life has to offer. He says, what we conducted ourselves in this world in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom. See the opposite of simplicity and godly sincerity? It's fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God and more abundantly towards you. Now, the word simplicity used in the text here implies the opposite of duplicity. We're getting a vocabulary lesson tonight. To be duplicitous means that, you know, you're two-faced, Anybody know, and I'm really getting down to character tonight, anybody know some two-faced people? Maybe you work with them, Ricky. Like they, they say, oh, how you doing, brother? Hey, have a good day. And then they get to the water cooler. They're talking about you. You know, and they're nice to your face and, hey, brother, hey, how's it going? How was your weekend? But they're behind your back. They're tearing you apart. Duplicitous. They don't say what they mean. They don't mean what they say. And, and, and they can't be trusted. Yep. Paul's saying, that's not me. I'm not duplicitous. Again, defending his character, defending his integrity. I don't say one thing and do another. I don't just say things to make people happy. I'm not duplicitous in that way. No, the simplicity of my life is that I don't live by fleshly wisdom. I'm not double-minded. There's always been a double-mindedness in the body of Christ. Why? Because the wheat and the tares grow together. Whenever God does something, there's always a murmuring in the body. Yeah. Whenever the leader says we're going to do this, there's always resistance from the body. People are like, oh, the world, the devil. Forget about the world and the devil. you got to deal with church people first. <laughs> well, Pastor, why does it have to be like that? Because the wheat grow with the tares. So, Paul's identifying his integrity, his simplicity, his lack of duplicity, but he's also, you know, hinting that it's there in the church and it's in Corinth and it's in those people who are resisting his God ordained authority. So, see what's going on under the hood here. He's not double minded, he's a simple man. He says what he means. We're going to get to more of that. The fact that Paul Uh, could say he ministered out of grace and not worldly wisdom is a great reminder to us. We need to minister. We need to function as Christians out of grace, not worldly wisdom, not our own ideas, not our own ideologies, not our own agendas. Hello? You know, come on, get this tonight. This is important. There again, this is what's in the church that fragments the body. Why? Because you got people not moved by the Holy Spirit, not driven by the grace of God, but worldly wisdom. And that creeps into the church. For centuries, we've seen the damage and the rotten fruit produced by man-made philosophy and man-made theology and man-made programs in the church of Jesus Christ. Look, we don't need more programs. We don't need more uh, bright ideas. We don't need. We need the presence of God. We need a move of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The the church over the last decades has gotten off track with programs—a program for everybody, a program for every part of the family, a group for everyone—but no move of God, no move of the Holy Spirit. And in a lot of churches, seeker-friendly churches, I'm not picking on any one church. I'm not thinking about anybody. I'm not mad at anybody. I'm just telling the truth. And the truth is we don't need more programs. We need a move of the Holy Spirit. Paul's saying, you know, it's not this fleshly wisdom. It's not, you know, my ideology, my philosophy. No, Uh, I'm led by the Spirit of God, and that's what he's hinting at here. At the end, we can bank on everything God wants to do, being a hundred percent right on the money. And you know what? Man's ideas and man's ideologies always fall short. The word of God never returns void. You know what? Uh, there is something that just came to my spirit, you know, we don't need, you know, more. I want to say this in a way that You know, it doesn't come across wrong, but we don't need more intelligence and more brilliance and more creativity in the body. Although we need that, we need intelligence, we need sound theology, we need creativity. But more than that, we need leadership that can hear the voice of God. Sometimes people default to their own creativity and their own ideologies and their own wisdom and their own programs and their own bright ideas. And they implement those. And it does nothing because it wasn't initiated by the Holy Spirit. Paul is getting to this. He's like, Look, I'm not doing my own thing. I'm not led by my own wisdom. But, you know, I'm sincere and I'm pure and I'm right with God and I have a good conscience and a clear conscience. Now, Verse 21 through 24 gives the reasons uh, Paul planned to come to them had changed. See, he was planning to come to them, and he didn't. His plans changed, and those who were opposed to Paul and critical of Paul used that one little change of plans to try and say Paul doesn't keep his word. Are you getting this? You might not have get it when we read through it, but that's the implication that here. It wasn't because he didn't keep his word. It wasn't because he didn't have a lack of integrity. It was because he wanted to spare them any more burdens. And that's, you know, that's an important thing for us to understand that, you know, we're going to dig into that a little bit more, but... Uh, he doesn't come to them so as not to burden them. We'll get back to that, but let's look at verse 13 in a little bit. For we are not writing any others, we are not writing any other things to you than what you read or understood or understand. Now I trust you will understand even to the end As also you have understood us in part that we are your boast as you are ours in the day of the Lord Jesus. So this is a reminder, you know, what Paul is saying here, we're not coming to you preaching a new thing. You know, every time he stopped by the churches, he would expound on theology. He would give them applications, but he never changed the gospel. This is important for us, especially in this generation that's very fickle and gets bored very easy. Oh preacher, you're preaching the gospel again. You preached that last time. Can you preach something different? Do you got anything new? Well, we always have something fresh because God always delivers fresh bread. Right. But but there is no new gospel. Right. And so, some of you look disappointed. You're like, oh. We're stuck with the same old stuff week after week. Well, there's always a fresh wind of the spirit. There's always fresh manna coming down from heaven, but it's not a new gospel. Not preaching the gospel 2.0 or the updated version of the gospel. For you are not writing you any other things to you than what you read or understood. People always get excited about new things. Let's be honest in church. How many like new things? Your old things still work. Your old thing is still useful. You haven't even maxed out the capacity of your old thing. But you and I want a new thing. We got phones that are more powerful than computers that used to fill up an entire room. But the next one comes out and people will camp out online. I got to get the new one. I got to get the faster one. You can't even use the one you got. You don't know how to use that thing. I want the faster one, the bigger one. That's just human nature, right? And, and the thing is that in the kingdom, that, that's, you know, I don't want to say this to disappoint you, but there's no new thing coming. The gospel that was preached is the gospel that stands. It's unchanging. It's never going away. It's, it doesn't need to be revised. It doesn't need to be repackaged. It needs to be preached over and over and over and over again. And Paul said, "I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, Him, because it's the power of God unto salvation." Amen. There's power in the simplicity of this message, and so he says, "I'm not coming to you with something new, something you know fresh." You know, there are a lot of leaders in spiritual movements that try to make themselves relevant by saying, "Well, I got a new thing, I got a new revelation, I got a new insight," or they just stir up controversy. Have you ever noticed that? There's people that do it. There's preachers that do it. They just stir up some controversy or they repackage something and brand it as new. And a lot of times these philosophies, these ideologies, these sermon series, they're not deep. They're just muddy. Muddy. And the truth is the truth, and it's simple. And we don't need to make it difficult. We don't need to make it so charismatic that, you know, it gets us all emotional. Sometimes I just like to listen to people preach the word in simplicity some simple person who understands the the truth of God's word and rightfully divides it and just preaches the truth without any show or any bombast or any you know uh, smoke and mirrors and screens and explosions smoke screens skinny jeans and smoke machines what is it pork and beans pastor mike not pork and beans Jill don't give him pork and beans But you know what I'm talking about? We try to sensationalize the gospel. And and it is awesome, all all in its simplicity. So Paul's not trying to do that. He's like, I'm not preaching a new thing to you. Don't let people come to you and stir your flesh up in your emotions. We got a new thing. You know, Gnosticism was all about secret knowledge, and it was one of the greatest heresies of the early church. I don't have time to unpack that, but just putting it out there. Verse 14 reiterates the the reoccurring theme, that the body and the leadership of the body are interconnected, just as we're interconnected with the triune Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He's talking about our boast, being in the Lord. And so uh, we continue, verse 15 and 16, Paul gives the explanation why his plans to visit them had changed. It wasn't because he was double-minded, it wasn't because he didn't keep his word, His plans had been altered, and there was a legitimate reason. It seems his initial intention was to visit them and to be a blessing to them. How many understood every time Paul visited the church, he blessed their socks off? He, he wasn't, you know, he might not have been the most dynamic speaker. There's a lot of church history, and, you know, people deduct that Paul maybe had a speech impediment or some sort of, sort of stuttering or whatever. He had some sort of thorn in the flesh that messed up his ability to communicate. He wasn't a flowery speaker. He was a brilliant mind. But he wasn't one of these, you know, flashy, you know, big words. No, he was just simple and, and, and to the point. Yeah. And so, you know, here he comes and he's, he's giving them the word and uh, it's a blessing to them. Every time he comes, it's a blessing. So he wanted to come to bless them and then he knew that they would bless him. Do you see the mutual relationship there? He blessed them with the theology, with the encouragement and the answering the questions and then just stirring up their faith and they blessed him by providing physical needs, monetary needs, his traveling needs. And so that was the balanced relationship. So Paul said, I was going to come to you, and I I was going to bless you, and you were going to bless me. Verses 18 and 19 is a long-winded way of Paul saying, my plans changed, you know, and it doesn't mean because I changed these plans, the Lord changed them, but it doesn't mean that my preaching will change or that the gospel would change. I want to say something. People are fickle, and people get bored easily. Now, as a Christian, we can be fickle and we can get bored about certain things, but we never get bored with this. We never get bored with the Word of God. We cannot get bored with the Word of God. Can I be honest with you? Sometimes people get bored of the Word of God. You know, as a preacher, I've been preaching since I'm 14 years old. I've never opened up this Bible and go, I'm running out of material." There, There is so much in here. There is, there is so much in here to preach for a hundred lifetimes. You, this doesn't wear out, but people get bored of it. I heard that before. I understand that principle. Or I, I know that theology. I want something new. I want something fresh. Make something up. And people get into trouble doing that to appease the crowd. They just make stuff up or they come up with new doctrines or they say, I got fresh revelation and... <sighs> and so it makes a lot of messes and Paul is being led by the spirit here, not by the flesh. Uh, he, we all know people whose word can't be trusted. Uh, we all know people who make promises that they don't intend to keep and that's not Paul. And these people who are accusing him, no, it's not him, but they, they're jealous. They don't have a right heart and they attack him anyway. Verse 20, the promises of God are yes and amen. There's a lot of, there's a lot of kind of, uh, you know, back and forth here, and sometimes, like I said, this can get a little confusing, but the implications of what, you know, the promises of God, are yes and amen, is that, you know, when God says something, it's rock solid, and it never changes. Right. God doesn't promise you something in his word. God doesn't give you something as a promise, maybe a of word, and then all of a sudden the next morning he goes, eh, I'm not feeling it anymore, I'm taking it back. God doesn't renege on his promises. God doesn't flip-flop on his word. And that's the whole idea of yes and amen. Uh, the promises of God are yes. Why? Because God doesn't go, eh, not today. Eh, maybe tomorrow. Ah, eh, I changed my mind. Are you getting this? Yeah differentiating the word of God with the fickleness of people. Not everything is going to go our way in life. Not every plan we make is going to work out the way we hoped. How many have walked with the Lord long enough to realize that the way we think it's going to happen is usually not the way it happens? Anybody? Now, if we're given the disappointment or we have to have things our way or we're control freaks and we we need deliverance, this is going to be a problem for us because the person who has to have everything in order and be in control of everything and everything has to unfold and go my way and I can't deal with disappointment, we're going to have a hard time serving the Lord. So Paul's plans changed and the Holy Spirit initiated these things. Do you know there were times in Paul's missionary journeys that he wanted to go someplace? He wanted to go to Jerusalem so many times. He wanted to go to places in the Orient, and the Holy Spirit would not let him go. I don't know about you, but there's times where God has led me to where it's almost like I felt the hand of God on my chest. Boom. Like, wait. No. The answer is no. Don't go there. Don't do that. Don't connect yourself to that person was I duplicitous? Did I lack integrity? Did I just have a flippant, you know, whimsical? Well, I'm just going to go with the flow chain. No, we're led by the Spirit. And Paul was led by the Spirit. So not everything worked out according to his plan, uh, but we can bank on God's plans working out. So all we have to do is hear and obey, hear and obey, hear and obey. Are you getting this? It doesn't take great intelligence. It doesn't take, you know, these incredible IQs. It doesn't, you know, take a a broad understanding of every theological. No, it's just us learning to hear and do what he says. See, this is not difficult. It's simple. And people who try to make it difficult usually have other motives. So there again, verse 21 through 24, Paul gives the reason that, uh, you know, things changed and he's trying to get them. He says in 21, Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and his anointed, who has anointed us, is God. And he who sealed us has given us the spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Moreover, I call God as my witness against my soul that to spare you, I came no more to Corinth. Not that we have dominion over your faith, but our fellow workers for your joy, for by faith you stand. So let's take a look at what's going on here. It wasn't a lack of integrity. It wasn't his duplicity. He shows that his personal connection to the Lord allowed him to be led by the Spirit. Do you know? And he wanted to go to Corinth, but it was too familiar and too easy for him to go there. Now, I want to show you why that is. It's because a lot of us have, uh, you know, this tendency uh, to rely on others more than we should. So who do you run to when things get tough? Who do you go to when you're confused, when you're hurt, when you're broken, when, you know, you, you lack finances, when you need this? Do you run to a person or do you run to God? See, Perhaps God changed Paul's plan because he started to get just a little bit too comfortable going to the Corinthians. It was too easy. He wanted to spare them. There are times when we lean too heavily on those that we're familiar with, those that are dependable, those that are faithful. You know, if you're dependable and you're faithful, you get a lot of things assigned to you. You get a lot of people coming to you wanting to do stuff. If you're good at something, if you're you're skilled at something, everybody's going to show up wanting you to use your skill for them. When they think of that skill, they think of you, and they show up. Can you fix this? Can you nail this? Can you saw this? Can you weld this? Yeah, I can. Get out of here. Because you can't do everything for everybody. And Paul had maybe just gotten a little bit too... uh, comfortable with the running back to them and them supporting him and him ministering to them and leaned a little bit too heavily on them. So we can become over-dependent on the faithfulness of others. Did you hear that? Yes. We can become over-dependent on the faithful. Now, don't think, well, I shouldn't ask anybody to do anything for me anymore. I'm not saying that. I'm saying, watch who you become dependent upon. Even if it's a good person, a godly person, our dependency should be on God. He's our provider, amen? He had gotten a little too familiar and overdependent with them, didn't want to come to them, didn't want to burden them, didn't want them to once again chip in, kick in, make sacrifices. No, he decided, I'm not going to do that to them. I'm just going to let the Lord provide. Verse 24 makes an interesting point. He says, not that we have dominion over your faith. Look at this. Paul is saying as leadership, we don't have dominion over you. We can't just come to you anytime we feel like it and take an offering and ask for support. No, we don't have control over you like that. The sheep belong to God. And no one has dominion over other people. Listen, no person, minister, or ministry owns the exclusive rights or control over the lives of other believers. Amen. Some of you need to get this because some of you have been involved and maybe someday when you leave New Yorkistan and flee to a free state, you're going to get into a church and you're going to get there and the leadership is going to treat you like they own you. I've been around the block. I've been through a lot of things. I've served a lot of people. And some people saw me as someone to develop and to sow into for the kingdom of God. And other people saw me as someone to use for their own gain. And nobody owns other children of God. Well, that's my ministry. That's my denomination. That's my pastor. And I got to be on call all the time and do what they say and carry their baggage and drive them around and do No! That's unhealthy. That's wrong. And that's the point that Paul is making here. I don't have dominion over you. I don't control you. You're not an asset at my disposal. You belong to God, and I belong to God, and we're fellow workers together. Come on, get this. This is the stuff that's under the hood that will set us free. A lot of us have been involved in ministries where we got taken advantage of. I'm almost tempted to have people raise their hands. Wait a minute. You've been in this church your whole life. No. (laughs) But, you know, a a lot of us, in fact, let's just be honest. How many of us can look at a point in our lives where we were taken advantage of by another believer? People who aren't raising their hands are scaring me. God bless you. God has been faithful. But a lot of us have experienced that sort of thing, and Paul wanted to spare them from that. He says, we don't have dominion over your faith Uh, I've seen unhealthy ministries that have almost become cultish in their control of their people, putting ridiculous demands on the lives of those within their ministry to serve to the point where it's manipulative and controlling and thoroughly ungodly. My mission as a pastor is not to suck every ounce of your time away from your family and your your balanced life and have you in church every night of the week because we grew up in a, we grew up in something a little different, a lot of us. How many are glad for balance today amen Balance and so that's kind of the poll that that's kind of the uh, point that Paul is making here. If you ever find yourself in a place where you know you just feel like you're not valued, you're just a pawn or someone's trying to control you, you should pray about getting out from under that ministry. It's not healthy. It's not gonna produce anything spiritually healthy in your life. Paul sees every member of the body of Christ as fellow workers. Do you see the humility here that he says, you know, uh, I don't have dominion over you. I'm not in control of you. You know, you, we're fellow workers together. We're we're under the Lord together. We each have a function in the body of Christ, and that's that's a good thing whether you're in leadership or or you're a new Christian, we are fellow workers together. He doesn't see himself, Paul the apostle doesn't see himself as over others that he could control them. It should speak volumes to us. And I'll say it one last time, never serve in a ministry that treats you like an expendable pawn. It, that's not the kingdom of God. Now, there's one last morsel in verse 24. And you know what? I said that on purpose because that's the way I want you to see the word. It's, it's just a delicious meal. The word of God. It's not junk food. It's not hot dogs. It's not beans, Pastor Mike. (laughs) It's a delicious meal. And we should savor every morsel. Amen? Don't just read through the word of God and skip parts and get to the parts you know or your favorite parts. No. Savor every bit of it. Here's the last little morsel in verse 24. Not that we have dominion over your faith, but our fellow workers for your joy for by faith you stand. So the, the last thing I want to point out is this, by faith you stand. This is a reminder to all of us that we don't stand you know, by the, uh, the help of others or leaning on others or the faithful people in our lives or you know, we can totally rely on our spouse or our family or our job or our boss. No, we stand by the faith we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is your rock. He's the one you need to learn to lean on and depend on. Our relationship with him needs to be developed till we can feel our feet firmly planted on that rock. Yeah. Jesus Christ, amen. Yeah. Look, there'll always be other people to come alongside, lift up our hands. We're gonna be thankful for our family, for our friends, for our spouses, but we've gotta to learn to lead on the Lord because the Lord is our rock and he's our help when everyone else is gone. He's always there. Let's bow our heads tonight. Father, I know that that section of Scripture is a little weighty. It's a little bit hard to untangle at points, but I pray tonight by the Holy Spirit that we were able to unpack it in a way that we can understand it. Father, help us to rely on you. Help us to trust in you. Help us not to become over-dependent on people who have, you know, offered themselves to us. Help us, Lord, to see everyone in the body of Christ as a brother, as a sister, as a fellow worker. Not to ever think that we have position or we have authority or there are those underneath us that are our underlings. God, God forbid that we ever get an attitude like that. Father, and in ministries that have improper structure and have become almost cultish and controlling, I pray for everyone under the control of such ministries that you would deliver them. Shake everything that can be shaken and knock down the things that are ungodly, but protect your people, protect your sheep, Lord. I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, give him praise tonight.